know the why human trafficking work is needed to fight for the freedom of modern day slaves. But love, passion, commitment isn't all you need to be an effective and successful anti-trafficking advocate. Learn the how. I'm Dr. Celia Williamson, Director of the Human Trafficking and Social Justice Institute at the University of Toledo. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, where I'll provide you with the latest and best methods, policy, and practice discussed by experienced experts in the field so that you can cut through the noise, save time, and be about the work of saving lives. Welcome to the Emancipation Nation podcast, episode 137, and I'm Dr. Celia Williamson. And today, I'm going to talk about the 12th journey, the final survivor's journey. And the 12th journey is the thriver carries and passes on this new way of thinking, feeling, and behaving throughout all their affairs. The truth when you go through this journey is I know that in giving back, I maintain my health and well-being. The transformation that thrivers experience is I know my choices to help others helps me. And so when people ask me, why do I do the work that I do in human trafficking? It's very selfish because it helps me. The more that I help to liberate other people helps me become free. So there's a saying when the voice and the vision on the inside become more profound, more clear and loud than the opinions on the outside, then you've mastered your life. That was Dr. John Martini. Now, I am far from mastering my life. I have a lot of work to do, but the 12th journey is about carrying the message. Where do you carry the message? In the vessel, yourself. You have to be the message. So a part of our ongoing healing and recovery is always to help others. And I'm a survivor of domestic violence. And so for the rest of my life, my healing and recovery is in helping others. But we have to be careful not to do it to the point where we become re-victimized, you know, where we're taken advantage of. So the other thing is we should always give back with a closed fist. Now, that's a terrible way to (laughs) describe it, but let me explain. Sometimes when people help you, you know, they want to count all the things they've done. You know, I'm holding my first finger up. Well, first, I did this for you. Then second, I'm holding my second finger up. I did that for you. And third, you know, so we're counting. When we help people, we should not be counting. Put your hand down. If you help somebody, don't sit around and wait for a thank you. That's not what the help is for. That's not the reason you're doing that. If you're doing that to get help, to get an applause, to get a thank you, then reevaluate why you're helping. The helping becomes more about you than about the person that needs the help. And the only gratitude you think you take from it is that you know in helping them, it helps you. Another way is to share your testimony. Is very different than sharing your story. Sharing your testimony is, is sharing 
your story, but it's the added part of sharing your transformation, right? That's that's what a testimony is about. And some of us don't want to share our story and they don't, we don't want to share our testimony because we prefer to keep our business private. And I respect that. Um, I like to share my testimony. I don't do it a lot because it's just, I've gone so far past it that it becomes irrelevant to me. I forget that some people need to hear my testimony. So this is my testimony in my 12th journey. So I grew up in a high crime, low income area in North Toledo. Many people know. Uh, I had an intact family. My my dad went to work every day, very traditional. My mother stayed home. She was a stay at home uh, mom. She cooked, she cleaned, she ironed. We had three meals a day, uh, home cooked meals. Um, my family ended up in a very chaotic neighborhood. None of my friends graduated high school, not one. Um, many people in the neighborhood drank, used drugs. Uh, there was a lot of crime. And why were we there? We were there because of redlining. We were there because my father had land picked out way out in a beautiful area where he was going to build a home and none of the banks would approve it. The realtors showed him a certain area like they legally could do back in the day. That was chaotic and crime ridden and said, you can be approved to purchase here. And my father did. And so we moved there. That's the house I was born in. Um, My family stayed there most all of their lives. Um, My mother only left that address when she came to live with me and then on to a nursing home. When I grew up, I got on welfare. I had food stamps, um, and I remember never being so depressed in my entire life as being on welfare. I started to go to college while I was on welfare, and that was not allowed back then, so I was in serious trouble. I had three county conferences and two state hearings, and I did not win um, because it was either you need to be poor or you can go to school, but you can't do both. So I decided that I would go to school. My neighborhood, I borrowed electricity. If you've ever heard of that, (laughs) yes, it's true. Um, Those big orange cords uh, that you could plug in, they're really thick. Uh, I actually ran that across the street uh, to my mother's house and then up to my apartment to plug it in to have a television, a lamp, and a hot plate. Uh, I had a portable washing machine that I loaned out to the neighborhood. We'd actually wheel it from house to house so people could wash their clothes. Um, In high school, I got C's and D's. I want to remind you that I'm, I'm telling you my testimony because today I am a full tenured professor. I'm a distinguished professor, and I'm well aware that less than 5% of U.S. professors uh, become tenured and distinguished, and even less are women, and even less 
are Black women. So I've achieved the highest level that you can achieve um, in the world of faculty. But I started out average C's and D student. That's why my testimony is powerful, because I am not a particular genius by any stretch of the imagination. Yet, I could achieve the heights that anybody with average intelligence but determination can achieve. In high school, my entire senior year, I spent in home economics. I didn't change classes. I went in the morning, and at three o'clock, when it was time to get out of school, I left the same home economics course. And that was because the high school had determined that I was not going to make it in the world. So there was no need really for me to go to uh, different classes throughout the day to prepare me. And I better learn to cook, uh, to cash my food stamps perhaps. My requirement was to get a job and so I got a job at Burger King. Um, And when I graduated, my dad, said, you're going to go to college. Um, This was not my dream, of course. (laughs) So my dream was to become one of the heroes that I saw quite frequently um, in my community. I wanted to be a drug dealer because that was what was in my immediate path. That's what I saw as successful. So um, I gathered some money. This is a a long story, but I actually took my mother's um, alimony check because she thought I was the responsible one. I cashed it. I bought an entire pound of weed. I bagged it up. I weighed it, then bagged it up. And then my debut as a drug dealer back in the day, I had a big party to celebrate, right? (laughs) You can imagine what happened. I thought this was going to be a great, a great business for me to be in because I don't really smoke weed. This is great. I'm not going to smoke up my product. I'm going to make a lot of money. And then I'm going to replace my mother's alimony and I'm going to be in business. Had a party. Woke up the next day. All the weed is gone. All of it stolen. Now I have no weed to be in business. I have no money to replace. And I figured out who it might have stole my money. I called him up. I threatened him. I threatened him with guns. All the things that you do when you're trying to be um, more than what you really are. I understand how kids start off in a seemingly less harmful way that within 48 hours can become very dangerous because the person that I was threatening my gun that I didn't have um, actually did have a gun. And my intimidation finally worked. And this person said, I will meet you in the alley and I'll give you the weed back. I showed up in the alley alone, uh, not able to take this person on if they challenged me, but I was successful in intimidating them. And so they handed me about half of the weed 
that they had stolen and said they had um, smoked some, sold some, handed me some cash. It wasn't nearly enough for me to even replace my mother's alimony. I had to think quickly. And so my friend had um, birth control pills that they looked very much like double dome THC. If you're not old enough, you wouldn't know what that drug was back in the day. But we hit the street and we sold that fake uh, double dome THC and got enough money back, just enough to put the money in my mother's bank account. And she was none the wiser. I ended up taking my father up on the idea that I should try college since I was a horrible drug dealer. (laughs) Thank God that I was a horrible drug dealer. So I started college. I wasn't, I didn't have enough self-esteem to go straight to the University of Toledo. So I went to the University of Toledo's community and technical college. I thought, well, maybe that will be less difficult and and more accepting. Um, I took my first basic writing class. Uh, All you had to do was write 10 successful paragraphs and you passed on to the next writing class. I failed writing. There's one thing that I do have, and it is determination. I am not very obedient to what I might hear the world tell me. And so I took it again and failed. I took it again and passed. So I had to take the basic writing class three times, which probably explains why when I went to my high school guidance counselor and asked for the manual for University of Toledo, He did not present it to me and instead counseled me on how to get a job at Jeep. Um, I showed all the signs of not being one that will be successful. But yet here I was finally excited to have passed basic, basic writing. The rest of my um, electives, free electives, I took writing courses so that I could become a stronger writer, but I couldn't get over a 2.69 grade point average. No matter how I tried, I thought I just wasn't smart enough. But what actually was happening was I was involved in an abusive relationship. And now that I look back, I can clearly see that all of my intellectual energy and emotional energy and spiritual energy was just going toward being safe and making sure that everybody outside of my household couldn't discover that I was a victim of abuse. When I graduated with this 2.69, which basically is a a C, or it said, you came to class and you you did something, um, I applied to Case Western Reserve. Now, Case Western Reserve back in the day was the top one or two schools in the country for social work, which is what my major was. And I applied. Why? Because I started listening to these motivational speakers. Les Brown was my favorite. 
And he would say, you have to be hungry and you have to go for it. And you can't limit yourself and you have to live your dreams. And, and, and I thought, oh my gosh. And out of all of this confidence that came out of, I don't know where, I applied to Case Western. Now, Case Western, you had to have a 3.0 to even apply, okay, to even apply for advanced standing. You had to have a 2.7 to literally even put your name on the paper and send it in. Yet I applied. And I thought, well, Les Brown says, don't let them tell you no, or don't tell yourself no. Les Brown says, don't tell yourself no. He says, let them tell you no. Why would you tell yourself? If you tell yourself no, you're 100% guaranteed that the answer is no. But try and let them tell you no. Okay. So I did. And to my surprise, I was asked to drive down to Cleveland where Case Western was for an interview, which I did. I was 45 minutes late for the interview on a $90 speeding ticket later. I went to the door and I said, I'm Celia Williams. I'm here for my interview. And he said, uh, I said, I, I, I realize I'm late. And he was reading the paper and he pulled the paper down and he said, yes, you are. And he pulled the paper back up and went on reading it. And at that moment in my life, everything in my body said, save your self-respect. Turn around and walk away. Go home, walk away. You have embarrassed yourself enough. Yet, I felt my feet walking toward him. In my horror, I was walking toward this man who had dismissed me. And I see my finger go up to the top of his newspaper and start to pull the newspaper down. And I said, I'm so sorry, but I have to tell you why this is important to me. I have to explain my passion to you. I have to tell you what I'm going to do with this master's degree in social work. And I want Case Western's name attached to the great things that I'm going to do. I think this man pulled his glasses down probably to the edge of his nose <laughs> and said, yes. And I sat down. And then I think I said, do you mind if I sit down after I already sat down? And I talked to that man for an hour. I sold myself. I told him all the reasons why I wanted to progress in my life. I told him my history. And by the time I was done talking, he finally got a word in and he said, I'm going to take your file over and I'm going to personally admit you to this university. And I have one request. And I said, anything. He said, I want to be there the night that you walk across the stage. And you graduate. And he was there. So that story still makes me emotional.
So let me get it back together. So telling your story is not enough. You have to tell your testimony. Why? Because it it makes you authentic. It makes you genuine. It makes you real. See, if I come to you and I just say, I am a full tenured professor, you know, and I do this and I've, you know, published these many articles and I've brought in this much in grants and who cares? I mean, hopefully that impresses you, but that doesn't make me real. So I think that's part of the problem is that we come to people in a fake way. We're scared to be 100% our genuine, authentic selves. We're afraid to tell people what has happened in our lives. We don't tell people our struggles. We show them our triumphs. You know, when you look on Facebook, everybody seems to be having a great time. Everybody's on vacation. Everybody's beautiful on Facebook. It's not real. I think being vulnerable, uh, being genuine, that's what endears you to people. That's what tells people that they can do it too. And that's what gives people permission to scratch where they itch, to be their genuine, full-flavored, no diet selves. And so the 12th journey is about carrying that message forward in the vessel that is you. So giving back feeds the soul. And being 100% yourself, that gives you the freedom that we're all looking for. We're out here helping victims achieve a level of freedom that we don't ourselves have because we're walking around wearing our Spanx and, you know, uh, wearing our neckties uncomfortably so and acting like people we're not. So this is me giving you the official permission in 2022 to be your full, genuine, authentic self and to be okay with it, to look for your freedom and to find it by being exactly who you are. So that is the 12th journey. This is Dr. Celia Williamson, the person who has been beaten down on welfare, failed basic writing courses, and defied the odds by not listening to any of them. Because I knew deep down that I was smart enough, maybe not book smart at the time, but street smart. Maybe I don't have the wisdom of age back then, but incredibly wise. Maybe I didn't understand strategy and how to navigate, yet I knew where I should be. And if I placed myself in certain paths, I couldn't tell you where I might end up, but I could tell you that the direction I was going was going to be positive and allowing love to guide my life instead of fear allowed me to get to places that, wow, my, how do I put this? My dreams paled in comparison to what I was able to do. 
So this is me being my authentic self. Uh, my voice is kind of scratchy. It's not exactly what I would love it to be. And so be it. So what? That's how it's coming out. And that's what it's going to be in the end of this podcast. It's just me, my genuine, authentic self coming to you. Hopefully they're genuine and authentic self and we'll be this way and we'll give other people permission to be that way. So until then, the fight continues. Let's not just do something. Let's do the best thing. If you like this episode of Emancipation Nation, please subscribe and I'll send you the weekly podcast. Until then, the fight continues.